Hi, this is Andrew, and this is Keynote, the daily now.tv chat show with some of the world's leading thinkers and writers. Hello, everybody. It's May the 4th, 2022, and this is Andrew, the real Andrew, the authentic Andrew. Uh, the A word's very much in the news these days. Authenticity, we use it all the time. I use it, I mock it, but it's a, it's a word that's unavoidable in today's perhaps inauthentic culture. Um, headlines today suggest that the Supreme Court leaked abortion draft is authentic. Uh, I don't know what it would mean if it wasn't authentic. It would be different kind of news. Um, we're always looking for authenticity, particularly in our entertainment. We're looking for real people in a fake world. Here's a headline from CNN about somebody called Carlton McCoy, a nomad episode guide. He has a show called Nomad, which is supposed to be real, of course, although it's anything but real, as all entertainment is. Um, the commercial world's obsessed with authenticity. eBay offers now authenticity guarantees for trading mm. cards. Uh, technology is trying to address the issue of authenticity. Uh, NFT sales are flatlining, but NFTs are designed to be the digital version of the authentic, which, of course, in, in some ways seems a, very much a contradiction in terms um, not only is authenticity in the political and cultural and uh, economic news, but it's also in the literary news. There's a new book out called Authenticity, Reclaiming Reality in a Counterfeit Culture. It's by British author Alice Sherwood. It's out this week. And Alice is joining us from uh, West London. Alice, welcome. Um, authenticity. Hi. Uh, you remind us um, in your book that what after in the first 10 minutes of any conversation, we get lied to three or four times. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. It's it's a figure actually from uh, Robert Feldman, um, Professor Feldman. And I think it's really an interesting one because I suspect what's happening there is not that every person is a terrible liar or rather good liar. But actually, the first 10 minutes is when you're meeting someone and when you most want to make an impression. So it's the time that you're most acting the person you want to be rather than the person that you are. So you're really in what I call fake it till you make it time. Um, and I think one of our big issues with authenticity is we are often not being ourselves, but we're being the people we want to be in the hope that we'll become that. Why is there a cult, Alice, of authenticity? One of the characters who most interests me is Anthony Bourdain. Uh, I, I've always thought he was rather untalented, and I never quite understood what his appeal was. And it always seems to me that he came across as an authentic figure, having seen the movie about him. He's not quite as authentic as he seems. Why do we long for authenticity? Why do we long for people like Bourdain and for this character Carlton McCoy, who's clearly trying to be a, a kind of uh, a Bourdain knockoff, ironically, given the cult of the authentic. Yeah, no, I love it. And I'm amazed that he hasn't called his series The Real McCoy. But yeah, it's too he... obvious. <laughs> <laughs> it's too obvious, too obvious. 
why why do we have this cult of authenticity one reason is um more simply that we feel that there's so little of it around so that a great deal of what we see on um social media um are people who've obviously instagrammed their lives who obviously have taken 45 different shots to get the one that they've actually put up so i think it was david shields who said we hunger for reality because there's so little of it about um, yeah shields, think, well shields sorry to jump in alice shields wrote a book about this yeah um, he, wrote a popular book. Book. he wrote a book called reality hunger um uh, where he really bucked the trend because more or less everything in the book was a quote or appropriated uh, and he encouraged the readers just to rip out the bibliography at the back uh, so the, that there wouldn't be any um that you wouldn't know who had said it so that it would be one long book if you like of plagiarism uh, so he was having a lovely time sort of playing with it all i think um and i think he has a point that the less reality in the world about us the more we want people who maybe like Baudin are kind of hyper real. Um, yeah, um, uh, yeah, Umberto Eco, of course, famously wrote about hyper reality and our our longing for it—a a sort of a post religiosity. Went to Los mm -hmm. Angeles to find that. So, your book, Alice, uh, authenticity reclaiming reality in a counterfeit culture. Um, is there such a thing as reality? And I assume you believe we're doing it unless you're lying in your title. Uh, can we indeed reclaim it? Um, I was so aware when I wrote the book of the entire libraries having done an undergraduate degree in philosophy, the, the sheer quantity of books on truth and reality. And I thought, I'm not actually going to go down there because there are great philosophers who've written about it um, at greater length and better than I ever could. Do I think that there's a absolute reality that we can pinpoint? Probably not. Do I think that we can get close enough in our lives to a sort of, I think it's called empirically adequate reality, a sort of good enough reality? Yeah, I think we do. I think we can. Um, and I think and the reason I sub subtitled the book, Reclaiming Reality, I think we're at a really interesting inflection point, having had years, if you like, of getting a world that was less and less authentic, that we are now seeing a change and we are seeing people fighting back to reclaim a good enough reality, maybe not a perfect reality. But, but Alice, how can enough. we separate and again, this is all obviously multi-layered and ironic. How can we se separate the lies from 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 the real reality? Uh, the, the, someone wrote a book, The Cult of Authenticity, and there is a, a cult of authenticity. I had a show earlier this week with Edward Sullivan, a management consultant, and we titled it How Authentic Conversation Can Unlock Our Creativity, Our Purpose, and Our Happiness. That's what he believes, at least. It was from his book, Leading with Heart. Um, I mean, the management theorists, and you're from the business world in part, at least, you have one foot in it, they're obsessed with the, with the A word. Can we just, do we need to shut them up? Do we need to, do we need to um, pinch them every time they use the A word? 
I, I don't want to pinch them. And I know, I feel I know why they're doing it, which is they basically, I think the suits are trying to break out of their suits um, and trying to unlock their creativity, trying to find themselves. And I think there are, as we know, a lot of courses on authentic management and authentic leadership. Um, are those contradictions in terms? I think I think you have to be quite careful. And I think that one of the best stories I was told, and I, I think I better be a bit careful. This was no, you don't have to be careful. No one watches this, Alice. So you can as long as no one watches it, that's just fine. Don't believe you, Andrew, because I watch you. Um, it was a very successful businessman who had become quite senior in the civil service. Uh, and he was faced with having to tell his staff that there wouldn't be, uh, they wouldn't get a raise. And this was for about the third year running. So this was not good news. And he had just been on a authentic management course. And so he thought he would do it authentically. And he said to them, I'm you know, really sorry, there isn't gonna be any more money for you for the third year running. And then he said the authentic bit, the authentic to him bit. He said, let's face it, none of us went into public service for the money, did we? Authentic for him, incredibly not authentic for them. Uh, and it went down like a lead balloon. Uh, and he told me this because he'd been on the course. So, so, so Alice, what's the, I mean, to me, he I'm decided not, sure that's not authentic, it's truthful. What's the difference between authenticity and truth? Uh, well, there he was, he thought, being authentic uh, and therefore telling the truth. Um, I think the difference between authenticity and truth is, is, I think it's threefold, actually, is firstly, when we say something is authentic, we always mean it's good. So something can be true. I can tell you that there was a motorway pileup yesterday, and that can be true, but it's not good. So if we say something is authentic, we're giving it a big tick and we're giving it a big thumbs up. Authenticity is only a good thing. Um, the other thing is that truth, something can be true, but banal. I went to Tesco this morning. True, not very interesting. But authenticity, if we stick a label on it, we're saying this is important to someone somewhere. So I think that's very important. So but what about authenticity being good we did a show yesterday on william blake who invented his own world the ultimate i don't know if he's inauthentic he created his own authenticity the great artists of modernity or at least of post-modernity andy warhol whose whole creative career is based on the fake um orson wells even made a wonderful film in 1973 mm. f for fake so the creatives aren't obsessed with authenticity, are they? Uh, much less, um, because well, Andy Warhol is a is a fabulous example. I write about him um, because he subverted one of the our central tenets of being authenticity authentic in art, which is you have to have an artist. Uh, and he would say to people who admired his pictures, he said, "Well, if you like my paintings." meet Gerard, uh, my assistant, because he painted most of them. So he really subverted it and he knew that you didn't necessarily, or you no longer had to have 
this vision of the artist as the supreme creative. I thought that was really interesting. Um, and the other thing I think that artists understand is they they know that they're always standing on the shoulders of, of giants, that they, they're always building on what went before. And so I think genuine artists, if that's a phrase I can use, don't get so hung up on complete novelty authenticity because they know that there's a there's a history and a tradition that, that they're building on. You, you mentioned, uh, you, you quote in the book, um, in nature as in life, there are copiers and the copied. In the struggle for existence, fraud is almost inevitable. If you want honesty, says the biologist, try physics instead. Are you suggesting then that we as a species in a Darwinian sense are fraudsters? I'm certainly saying, and I think one of the bits of the book that I most enjoyed researching was our biological wiring. I'm certainly saying that in nature, mimicry, counterfeiting, con artistry is absolutely rife and absolutely inevitable because if it helps an animal to fake it, to look like something it's not. We're all chameleons uh, then, Alice, right? Uh, yeah, By definition. If, if it helps them survive, then evolution will make sure, absolutely sure, that that happens. Can so this be the ultimate explanation then for religion? Because in a world of fakery, in a world of chameleons, in a world where we're continually reinventing ourselves, um, the first mover, according to some people, I, I'm not part of that community, but the first mover is by definition authentic. There's nothing behind them. They are the real, right? Are you are you talking in the religious sense? Yes. Oh my God. Um, sorry. Yeah. Oh my God. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, you won't be punished. I won't be punished. Uh, but it's always good to be on the right side of God just in case he exists, right. I think. Um, I'm, not, I'm just trying to think about how to answer that. Uh, I'm such, I think the answer is, I am such a Darwinian uh, that I don't really think in terms of the first mover. I think one of the great benefits of Darwinism, I, I hope you're right that nobody's watching this because all the creationists are really gonna come down on me like a ton of bricks, but. I, I do think that one of the great advantages of Darwin is that there was no longer a need for a god to have created every single one of these different and interesting creatures. You, you could just have evolution. So the irony is, Alice, that we are by definition inauthentic and our greatest creation is the idea of authenticity, which is the ultimate untruth. Is that fair? Um, I think that we aren't necessarily, by definition, inauthentic because I think we are different from the rest of the animal kingdom. I think I think there are some very important differences, which is that the animals who end up being wonderful mimics and counterfeiters don't have a choice. Um, being being a butterfly that imitates another more poisonous butterfly is a lifestyle, but it's not a lifestyle choice. Whereas I think we've got a lifestyle choice, we've got a choice. So we can decide whatever the pressures 
we can decide whether we want to be authentic or not. And we can invent, you know, whichever kind of heroes or guiding lights we want, but we're not forced to. I think that's one of the big, that's one of the big differences. So we can all be, and I'm going to borrow your joke here, we can all be the real McCoy. We can all try to be Anthony Bourdain uh, and be miserable. Um, after We're going to take a short break now, um, no. Alice, but after the break, I want to talk about happiness and authenticity because it occurs to me that somebody like, Mac not McCoy, <laughs> um, somebody like Bourdain seemed to be, again, judging from the movie I saw about him, seemed to be profoundly unhappy because of the cult of authenticity built up around him. And perhaps we all need to be Andy Warhol because that will cheer us up. Fascinating conversation. We're talking to Alice Sherwood, the um, the author of a wonderful new book, Authenticity, Reclaiming Reality in a Counterfeit Culture. We're going to take a short break. And then afterwards, we're going to come back and talk about Two interesting characters in particular, Dolly Parton and Charles Taylor, two very different characters that uh, Alice begins the book with, who will help us understand what authenticity is and isn't, its ethics, and how we can all indeed be Dolly Parton in the age of the fake. So we'll be back with Alice Sherwood, author of Authenticity, in about 60 seconds, real 60 seconds. Hold tight, everybody. Hi everyone, Andrew here again. I'm not sure if you're listening or watching or even reading about this Keenon show. I certainly hope you're enjoying it, but I wanted to remind you that there are many different ways you can use to enjoy my Keenon show. The first, of course, is by, in a very traditional way, subscribing to the audio-only podcast. You can do this um, using Apple or Spotify or CastBox or many of the other traditional uh, podcast distribution platforms. We're on all of them. And if you want to access uh, all the podcasts together, you can go to my LitHub page um, in their podcast section, which is dedicated to all the interviews. Uh, if you're into watching this, as opposed to simply listening, um, if you follow me on Twitter at AJ Keen, you can watch these shows live. Uh, and you can do the same um, if we're connected uh, on LinkedIn. I'm not on Facebook. I'm not a great fan of Facebook, but LitHub is. And on their LitHub live page, you can watch these shows live as well. Um, in terms of uh, recorded videos, uh, not live, you can see all the shows on the LitHub YouTube page. So whatever your preference, whatever your taste, whether it's video or audio or text, there's no excuse for not watching or listening to my show. Now back to Keynote. We are back with Alice Sherwood, the author of Authenticity, lovely new book about the A word, one of my least favorite words, although I use it, unfortunately, all the time. Um, Alice, you begin the book with two fascinating quotes from very different kinds of characters, Dolly Parton, um, who everybody knows, and Charles Taylor, the Canadian professor of ethics and the author of The Ethics of Authenticity. 
the Parton quote is, it's hard to be a diamond in a rhinestone world. And the Charles Taylor quote, our degrees of freedom are not zero. Let's begin uh, with Dolly Parton, who uh, you hold up uh, as a model of authenticity, or at least the way we can be authentic in our fake world. What is it about Dolly that's um, so illuminating and helpful, Alice? I love, well, I love Dolly because she's an absolute object lesson in not judging a book by its other or not judging a person by how they look. In her case, all the fabulous sort of fake wigs and the, and the rhinestones and the extraordinary figure and uh, all of that. Um, but if you look beyond that, and you judge, it's almost as if she's making an exterior that is so absurd that you have to look, actually look at her actions to make a judgment call. And when you actually look at what Dolly does, um, she sets up the Dolly Foundation and has given away a million books. Um, she um, paid out millions uh, to when Tennessee was hit by storms, which is her home, her home. Uh, she uh, famously gave a million dollars to Moderna for the, for the vaccine, for them to develop the vaccine. And she even went online. And did you see this, Andrew, when she was singing vaccine to the tune of Jolene? No, I didn't see that. She, absolutely wonderful. So what she did was much more meaningful than how she looked. And then more recently, she was offered... Um, to be uh, nominated for the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, which is kind of in music is a really big honour. And she turned it down and she said, you know, it's a great honour, but I, I don't sing rock and roll. And actually, celebrity turns down honour. Not really a headline that you see that often. So to me, she's a kind of beacon for that kind of um, real authenticity uh, even under that fabulously and very obviously fake exterior. And also her quote is just the most wonderful one to begin with the book because actually it sums it up. You know, it's hard to be a diamond in a rhinestone world, but we sure live in a rhinestone world. And what about the other words from Taylor? Our degrees of freedom are not zero. They borrowed from his book, uh, The Ethics of Authenticity. What do those words mean? And is there an ethic of authenticity? Um. I think that he was using it in the sense of, and maybe this is the, the, the Baudin sense, Anthony Baudin sense you were talking about. I think he's using it in the sense that we're under all sorts of pressure from society to do things that conflict with our personal authenticity, if you like, um, and that we might be subject to economic forces, political forces, and the one I look at a lot, which is um, evolutionary forces, but we still have at least some degrees of freedom. We can make some choices. Um, so what should that, we do, Alice? So let's, let's focus for the rest of this conversation on trying in, in your, borrowing from your subtitle, how we can indeed reclaim reality you note in one of your stats that the number of louis vuitton 
fakes if they were piled up would reach the moon or something um should we but doesn't that reflect the absurdity of louis vuitton it's not just the fakes it's the real louis vuitton stuff that's the problem i think the whole of the louis vuitton thing is quite fascinating i mean they have the company has 61 full-time lawyers just hunting down the fakes um so they they have a real they have a real issue with it. And I think the really interesting question there is, it's so important and so valuable to some people to have the Louis Vuitton look. Um, and sales of Louis Vuitton have done really well. Sales yeah, your stats say that um, it said in some places you'll find 99 fake Louis Vuittons for every genuine one sold. So that means that the fake is actually more real than the genuine. The fake is more real than the genuine. You, you will see... I was, while luxury goods have tripled, counterfeits having increased two hundredfold. Um, so they have got a, they've got a real issue going because it doesn't make sense. We we say we value Louis Vuitton and yet we buy the fakes. Which does that make us clever or does that make us fake? Well, you're asking me. I'm asking you. You're the author. <laughs> I think it makes I think it makes us I think the industry wouldn't really want to admit it, but a great they can't really say it. But I think a great deal of the problem is that that people are, are com very complicit with buying the fakes. It's very very rare to buy a fake by accident. We're not being fooled. We're we're complicit. Right, and that complicity extends to everything, particularly online. You say. Uh, many chat but uh, chat bots are good enough to convince you they're real people. Um, around 11 million of the 31 million men who signed up for a dating website didn't realize they were chatting to fembots. You, um, you, you, you write in the book about virtual reality worlds like Gilinor in, in Brazil. Of course, uh, Mark Zuckerberg is rebranding Facebook as Meta, as a, as a virtual world. Do we just need to keep off? The virtual world, do we need to steer clear of augmented or virtual reality if we are indeed to reclaim reality in, in the 21st century? Do you know, I really hope not, uh, because when I was looking into virtual worlds, what I found, and this may all change with Meta, was actually that they were a very safe place to do that sort of personal discovery. Um, they were you the mean like dress up as a woman or a man or this or Dress that. up as a woman or a man or a warthog with lilac wings or whatever you want to be. You can be it online or in virtual worlds more or less safely. And it's not really an imposture because the moment you're an avatar, you know, imposture is a condition of entry. Everyone knows that you don't look like whatever your avatar looks like. So it seemed to me that it was fabulous had fabulous potential for living a, a different real life one that you might not get um you know in in the meat first but one that really had value and i have um one of the pictures one of the illustrations in the book um are the photographs of people you've got a the photograph of the person and a photograph of their avatar you know their their alter their alter ego, 
And I found it all very moving because it meant that people were showing what they wanted to be their fantasies and they were living them out, you know, with no danger to anybody. And one of them was a boy who was clearly quadriplegic, but he spent a lot of time as a Star Wars warrior because he couldn't do that in real life. So I, I actually didn't see it as sort of evil or illusory necessarily. I saw it as rather wonderful, actually, some of the time. What about inauthentic places, physical places, leaving aside uh, the metaverse? Uh, you, uh, you know that um, over 3,500 people come every year from all over the world to Blackpool, Lancashire, to learn, get, to, to learn to get better at deceiving others. For people in the audience that don't know anything about Blackpool, Lancashire, <laughs> it's the rather shoddy English version of Las Vegas. Um, what is it about Blackpool that makes it an interestingly inauthentic place, Alice? And um, perhaps, uh, perhaps might even change some of our opinions, including my own, about Las Vegas. Well, I was... I, I had Blackpool in there, and I think it holds true for Las Vegas as well, is that they have the biggest magic conventions. Um, and magic is a fantastic sort of authentic inauthenticity, because what a magician is effectively saying to you as you, as you come into his or her show is, um, I'm going to deceive you. Come on in, I'm going to deceive you, and you're going to enjoy it. Uh, and I think that's fantastic because you know where you are. I call magicians the most honest people you'll ever meet because they, they say, I'm going to lie to you. And they do. And then you love it. So I think they bring a kind of sense of wonderment. I've not been to Las Vegas. I'd love to go to Las Vegas. Um, they bring a sort of sense of a sort of wonder to, you know, the shoddiest of surroundings, if you like. Well, Alice, you said that in the first 10 minutes of conversation, most people lie about themselves. You've been talking up the F for fake. You like Blackpool be, and, and, and the metaverse because we can invent our own realities. Have you told any lies, any pork pies in this conversation, Alice? You can confess. Mm, have I told any pork pies in this conversation? Possibly not. I think the only one might be that... Um, when we were discussing, I think, off camera before we met, before we came on, um, you said we were talking about where we'd met before. And, and I said uh, that we'd met in Brussels and that I thought you were hanger, uh, that you were jet lagged. I think you were actually hungover. Oh, my God. Well, you should so have said I think that. That was, that was my polite social life. What about bios, though, Alice? Here's your bio. It's almost too good to be true. You've done so many different things. You're a scientist. You're an entertainer. You're an academic. You're a reader. Do most of us lie in our bios? And But should bios be our most creative form of fiction? Um, I, think, I think people burnish the truth in their CVs. And I think it's a game because the people reading them are also looking for the holes and looking to to catch out any of the any of the untruths. So, I'd, it's yeah. I think I think people do, and I think people get caught out. Well, as Alice says, be careful reading other people's bios. Probably be careful reading your own. Mm -hmm. uh, her new book, Authenticity: Reclaiming Reality in a Counterfeit Culture, 
is a lovely book because like Alice, it's like Alice herself, it's witty, doesn't take itself quite as seriously as some of these other books, either for or against authenticity. It's a wonderful read. Congratulations, Alice. What else should people be reading in early May 2022 to make themselves more or less authentic? More or less authentic. Um, or adding or detracting from our humanity, whatever that means. Adding or detracting from our humanity. Because I think so much of it goes back to understanding the kind of big tectonic forces. Do you know what I'd say? Read read Darwin or read one of what I call the, the Darwinettes, the, the, the Steve Joneses um, and the or the Dawkins. Are you a Darwinette, Alice? I'm a total Darwinette. I'm a total Darwinette. You should um, form a, a band, the Darwinette. Alice and the Darwinette. I'd I'd be there. I'd be there. Do you, I'm not I'm not sure they'd consent to be my backing group, but if they would, I'd go for it. Absolutely. I'd like to see you up front with Richard Dawkins and Charles Darwin behind you. Alice Sherwood, yeah. author of Authenticity and Honor. Uh, finally, Alice. Um, and you can lie on this as well. I, in fact, I would expect you to lie. Who's in charge of the world in early May 2022? Who's running the show? The show being, of course, the counterfeit. Who's running the show? Okay. Who's running the show? That's a good question. Um, well, I, I have to say that halfway through the book, writing the book, um, I began to when I I began to think that the kind of parasites were running the show. Um, <laughs> uh, but what do I think? I think well, that's what I, uh, Blake believes that he has some wonderful art on fleas. Yeah, no, I I you you could you can go down that particular rabbit hole. I think by the end of it, uh, because the book does actually end optimistically i i think i'd say my 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 keyboard warriors my reclaimers of reality i basically you know anyone with a laptop who knows how to use it is running the world